Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. This week, I speak with Bob Moog. Now, Bob is the founder, the president, the CEO of, uh, of University Games. I may have given him more titles than, than he has, but he, he definitely is the one that uh, is in charge and, and the one that uh, created University Games. Now, if you are a longtime listener, you know I am into board games. I've had people on in the board game world before. I've had people in, in on in, in the gaming world before. And, uh, and Bob founded a company that has created some of the biggest games out there. Uh, we're going to talk about some of those, but he, he's created a lot of games through different IPs, you know, intellectual property. So like a big Blue's Clues game back in the 90s that sold a million copies. He created um, some really cool games that I, I still currently have, and he's going to talk about how he created them. Um, I think that you're going to uh, to recognize some of the the products that he talks about. Uh, he he, something I had no idea. Actually, his company is one of the largest creators of glow in the dark stars. So we all had these glow in the dark stars on our on our ceiling as a kid, and and uh, good chances that uh, his company created created the ones that you had. So I thought that was really fun. But uh, Bob's going to talk about what it was like to to get in the gaming world in the 1980s. He's going to talk about how that world has changed. He's going to talk about what's important to him when creating new games. Um, they uh, University Games focuses a lot in the, the party game world. So, um, you know, think, think games that you, that you play with a large group, not the ones that are, are you know, extremely strategic and in, in that kind of thing um they do have some offshoots and, and other companies they've bought that uh, are, are big in that world we try to stay kind of high level here i'm you know i'm a big gamer myself and, and when i say that i mean board games um, but i didn't want to get into the weeds too much because i know that's not uh, that's not the entire audience but um we're going to talk about just what it's like to to run a huge gaming company that's that's something that uh you know, not a lot of people do. There's not a lot of gaming companies out there anymore that are, are big. Um, so it was just a pleasure speaking with, with Bob. He's going to talk about some of the new games he has coming out. One is a murder mystery one, uh, which is, is huge these days that uh, you're actually going and catching a, a serial killer, not just solving one murder, but uh, multiple. And then he's also just recently created a game based on the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And uh, I that's, that's a, obviously a huge, huge huge thing um for the last 50 plus years that the people are, are into so i think those that uh like uh like that movie are really gonna like this game uh, just a fascinating conversation to talk to bob i think you're really gonna enjoy this here is bob moog i'm here today with bob moog mr moog how are you i'm great thank you so much jackson for inviting me on today well thanks for joining me hardest question of the of the day just introduce yourself <laughs> well, I'm Bob Moog. I'm the uh, founder of University Games, and we started the company on April 1st, 1985. Uh, and then I started another company that I'm the chairman of 
just called rugame.com. It's an e-commerce seller of uh, games and puzzles. And uh, we started that company in 1998. Yeah, that's awesome. And you, right before we started recording, you you took my joke away from me. I was going to be shocked that we weren't talking about Maggio Synthesizers today because you share the name with somebody else that has done some pretty awesome things. And there's even a documentary about him. So how often are you uh, are you confused? Well, it's 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 uh, interesting. The inventor of the synthesizer, Robert Moog, uh, he pronounced it Moog, uh, and I do have uh, this very similar names. My my first name it starts with the letter A, and his middle name started with the letter A. So I'm a Robert Moog. He's Robert A Moog, uh. and I did. Uh, he's he's a distant cousin. Uh, I met him once in my life. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. And he came to an assembly at my high school when I was in 10th grade. Huh. He's about 10 years, 10 or 15, I guess 15 years older than me. So I was able to meet him. And that was really a thrill. And then all my life, if I meet anybody that's in the music industry, you know, even a bouncer at a, at a, at a club or a concert, I can always show him my ID and I get in because they feel like either they think I'm him. He passed <laughs> away 10 years ago, or yeah. they think it's cool that I have the same name as him. So either way, I, I, no one else in the world cares about me, but, but people who are involved with bands and music think I'm great. I like it. Yeah. And you're you're great for other reasons, because like you talked about, in 1985, you created a board game company, which is something that I have a passion about my, myself. But in reading about you, it seemed like I, I don't know whether you had this huge passion for board games. I want to kind of unpack that because I know you were deciding between board games a ice cream stand and what and a brewery. So I feel like it was just kind of, I don't know if you were just throwing darts or what happened with the board game company. Well, there's sort of two parts to the story. Uh, the first part of the story is that I'm the oldest of five kids mm -hmm. in my family and I grew up playing board games. So Parker brothers and Milton Bradley were the board game companies of my youth. And uh, I loved playing cards, games and board games with my, my brothers and my sister. And, uh, so that was always something that was woven into the texture of my life. Uh, however, I never had any plans to start a game company. I, uh, I got out of graduate school and one of my best friends, a guy named Chris Lehman, was uh, on the partner track at Price Waterhouse uh, in accounting. And he said, you know, I know a lot about accounting and you have a lot of energy and you seem like a sales guy. Why don't we start a company? And I said, okay, the only requirement I have if we start a company is that it's got to be something that's a consumer good that I can talk about, you know, when I'm at parties and stuff. And he goes, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you're married. I'm single. And I was 28 at the time. And I said, and I want to be able to pick up women. And I think I can do a better job of it if I have an interesting job. Um, cause women are interested in people that are doing things with their lives. So he said, well, what, can, what, what do you, he still didn't know what I was talking about. I said, here's the way I look at it. The law just changed since prohibition for the first time you can open up micro breweries and micro and brew pubs. And this was again, this was 1985. Also this thing called the dove bar is really popular. And it's a lot more popular than ice cream sandwiches and drumsticks so maybe we could make our own new kind of ice cream and trivial pursuit is really hot. And I think I could invent better games than trivial pursuit. So we actually pursued business plans for all three and 
the end of the day, it turned out that there's a problem with ice cream and that you have to have refrigerated trucks. And if the ice cream doesn't stay refrigerated, your inventory melts. Mm -hmm. And with beer, there was definitely a concern that I might be drinking more than I was selling. <laughs> and so that led us to games. And uh, we launched the company by developing and, and introducing the first murder mystery parties in the country. Uh, and we were the first people to take the idea of a mystery and put it into a box and have it be a you know play at home kind of thing. There was another guy named Jamie Swice who had done it a little bit in Chicago. So we were maybe arguably number two, but we were right there at the beginning. Yeah. And I, I mean, in 1985, you may have been okay. You're kind of at the, the ground level, but I know now I'm, I'm sure that you're happy that you're in games because I, one of my, my best friends, actually, all he does, he has a marketing company and all he does is help breweries differentiate themselves because there's yep. so many out there now that it's almost an impossible space. So I feel well, like when, you, uh, you're, you when we were happy. looking at it, when we were looking at 1985, there was there they didn't exist. There were mm -hmm. these thousands of breweries didn't exist. There was Anchor Steam, which recently closed in San Francisco, which really was a different kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then the first one that opened up out here was called Gordon Biersch, and uh, we would have been the second or third one on the West Coast. Uh, but I'm glad mm -hmm. we didn't do it. I've had so much fun in games, and games are, uh, you know, games are. Uh, such an interesting reflection of what's going on in society. So we started the company with $20,000. We didn't raise venture capital. We didn't go out and mortgage our houses or anything. And we've just bootstrapped it from there. And we were, the two of us were partners uh, for 35 years. Then he retired. And then the last four or five years, I've been doing it on my own. I know. I also read somewhere that you talked about how it doesn't kind of follow the timeline that we're talking about now, but were you, did you invent games before you became us? A C, the CEO of, of this company? Because I you, you you mentioned something about being a, an inventor first. Yeah. Well, there, there are two things that happened. One was in my youth and one was in my adulthood. In my youth, my brother, who was 14 months younger than me, he got a condition in his hip uh, called leg perthes. And it happens with kids and sometimes when you're growing too fast. And the where the ball meets the socket in your in your hip the ball started to deteriorate. So from the time he was in second grade until fifth grade, he couldn't walk. He had to either use crutches or be on a leg brace. And during that time, he and I would invent games just to occupy ourselves. And so I got very comfortable with the idea of taking, you know, stuff, dice, crayons, a door, whatever was around, a card, cardboard, and creating something that would be a game type thing. Then, after I was about 10 years old, I didn't think about that at all. But when I got out of school, I got hired by Nolan Bushnell, who, whose name may be familiar to you. I'm sure it will be to some of the listeners. He was the father of the video game. He, he's the founder of Atari. He also was the founder of Chuck E. Cheese Pizza. And he invent was a, an incredible entrepreneur and inventor, and he decided that he wanted when Trivial Pursuit was popular, he wanted to do his own line of trivia games. So he hired me to develop trivia games for him. And the first one I did was a trivia game all about business. And we sold about 50,000 copies of it. So I felt like he paid me to learn a little bit about the industry. But my whole experience before we started University Games was less than three months. You know, it was uh, it was a couple of months of research and then working on manufacturing and sales.
Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned a little bit ago when we were talking about which company you were going to start, you know, one, the inventory can melt. The other one, you were worried that maybe you were going to drink too much of it. So <laughs> I just, I wonder, maybe it was, it was, you know, the, your other partner that was with you for so long, but do you feel like, you know, that I guess your mindset helped or hurt in the very beginning? Because it sounds like you're, you're more of the, uh, I don't know. You're more of the the fun rather than the, I guess the the number cruncher at, at least at the beginning. So I wonder, yeah. and and I ask that too, just because you know I've talked to several inventors. I talked to the inventor of Bop it, and then I've mm -hmm. talked to the other end of things. I talked to another uh, the CEO of Design Edge when it comes to games, mm -hmm. and it really you, you kind of have to be one or the other. You wouldn't think that that would be the case, but. You know, if you fall in love with an idea and it's just not profitable, that's where you've got to decide who's the business guy, who is the, um, you know, the, the fun guy. Right. So I totally get what you're asking. And this has been one of the, the frustrations, but also the great joys of my life mm -hmm. is that I am a person who's the fun guy. I'm the person that thinks of the creative stuff or, 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 or usually other people think of it, but I'm the one that does it. So if there's four people brainstorming and we come up with something, usually I'm the one that goes and gets it done. Um, even though I might not be the one thinking of the original idea. Uh, and a good example of that is, uh, well, no, I'll, I'll tell you the example in a second. However, somehow I ended up and I'm saying somehow, because to this day, I'm not sure how it happened. I ended up getting into business. I was a history major, undergrad, getting into the Stanford Graduate School of Business and getting an MBA at Stanford. And, and I say I don't know how, because once I got there, it was a lot of investment bankers and consultants and venture capitalists. It was not people who were there just like to party and have fun, which is what I wanted to do, <laughs> even though it was expensive. Um, and so being in that program for two years um, taught me the business side. So I would say my normal personality is the fun side. Uh, and what I try to do in my business is mix the fun of life with the realities that you have to make a profit or you're not sustainable and you can't stay in business. And, and when I'm around the people who are the, you know, like the Boppet inventor type people, I can hang with them. And when I'm around the CEOs of corporations, I can, I mean, I think they kind of roll their eyes a little bit, but I, they, they, I can, they know that I can keep up with them. So I'm, I'm really lucky um, or fortunate that I'm able to sort of use those both sides of my brain. What I was going to say is a good example of that is um, we wrote a book, two friends of mine and I wrote this book called gummy bear goes to camp and gummy bear goes to camp came from a drunken night up at Tahoe where we had paper plates and some um, crayons and people were drawing on the back of the paper plates and then licking the backs of gummy bears and sticking them on the plates. Mm. And uh, the next morning I went to the garbage can and I pulled all these plates out and I took them down to uh, some friends of mine who were artists and they, we created this book. So that's the creative side. But then once we created the book, we had to figure out how to sell it. 
And so that's where the business side comes in. So I found a printer to print it. I contacted a company in Germany, the Edward M. Edward M. Munster Company. They donated 5,000 little bags of gummy bears. We glued, we taped the gummy bears into the books. Then I went to retailers and I didn't go to bookstores. I went to candy stores and I said, hey, do you want to buy 12 of these books? It'll be a great way to sell more gummy bears because once people read the book, they're, they're going to want more gummy bears to eat because they're reading the book. And we sold about 10,000 books. And then a book publisher came to us and bought the rights from us and and published it. So the business side of it took over after the creative side went. And I have that kind of stuff happen to me all the time. I mean, it's, it is, uh, I'm very, very fortunate that I've got that mix. And so I'm able to kind of do both sides. And what did your friend say? A drunken night turned into you selling 10,000 books about their experience. Well, the, the people that created the original plates, we gave them acknowledgments in the book. Yeah. And when the gummy bears, the 5,000 bags of gummy bears came, I called, it was three people. I called them and I said, you got a choice. You can have royalties on the book or I'll send you a hundred bags of gummy bears. Yeah. And they all three said, we Moog, we don't think this book's ever going to happen. We definitely want the bags of gummy bears. Uh -oh. <laughs> I can, yeah. they didn't even have to think about it. It's like royalties on something you're doing. Forget <laughs> it. We'll take the gummy bears. So I took three, I took a hundred bags for each of them and mailed them to them. And they, they've never complained. That was about 30 years ago. That's funny. I, I love that. And I want to, you know, you're talking about having success basically because you've, you've done so much, uh, you, you've been able to kind of merge those two, two worlds together. Tell us a little bit when it comes to the success, talk a, a little bit about university games and maybe some, some games that people would know. Hopefully they know all of your games, but maybe some of the most popular ones. Okay. Well, University Games, as I said, started with Murder Mystery Party. And Murder Mystery Party is where you invite people to your house and you try to solve a murder. And we, we, we originally picked the name University Games because we wanted to focus on university-age students. No game company in America was, was trying to invent and sell games to University Games students. So in the 80s, we were kind of like, although we were not, I don't think we were as, as successful, kind of like the guys that did Cards Against Humanities or the people that did Exploding Kittens. Those are really fun games that are really geared for people in their 20s and 30s. And that was the idea of our company when we started. As by about the third year, we realized that we weren't going to be able to be sustainable only selling to college bookstores. So we broadened to, to bring in children's games. And... Um, and we started something called the National Young Game Inventors Contest, where we would invite kids to invent games, and then we would publish them and give the kids uh, $10,000 towards a college scholarship, which was uh, one of many examples of us doing sort of community-minded, socially aware stuff. We, we were very fortunate as we developed the company and we got a reputation that we got some licenses. So um, people who are watching this, uh, depending on your age, but you know if you're in your 40s, you probably remember uh, and played some of our games based on where in the world is Carmen San Diego. We were the company that did all the where in the world is Carmen San Diego games. We were the company that did all of the games in the in between 1993 and 2005 on Dr. Seuss's books. There are other people that do them now, but we were the original ones, and we did. Um, you know, millions of units of that. And we were also the company 
that um, did Nickelodeon-based ga- games in Nickelodeon's early years. Mm-hmm. So in the 90s, we were the company that did all the games on Blue's Clues and on Ghost Rider. So those licenses probably are familiar to people. Uh, uh, people who are younger, you might have grown up playing Brain Quest, and we're the company that does all the Brain Quest board games. But the thing that most people, they don't know our company, but they know the products. The, the thing that we're probably best celebrated for is that we're the world's largest manufacturer of glow-in-the-dark stars. So anyone watching, whoever had glow-in-the-dark stars on their ceiling, um, if, if you bought them at Walmart or at Toys R Us or at Target or at Imaginarium or Zany Brainy or Noodle Cadoodle or Learning Smith or Store of Knowledge, uh, Natural Wonders, those were all our customers. And uh, and we were the lead, leader for, we still are, but at 35 years in selling glow in the dark stars. Oh, well, that, that is not what I expected at all. That's, that's really awesome. I, I'm, I'm sure I had your, your stars as a kid. Um, just very briefly before we, we started, I have, you know, I, three, 400 games, shelves and shelves. I'm sure I have more, but I, I, I picked out a few things that I do have of yours. I've got all of these little guys here. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. yeah the brain teasers and the 30 second mm-hmm. mysteries. And then I have the, the fishing for words dice game. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that I could find quickly. I think there's so, more. So let me, I think this will be interesting. Tell you how those games came about. Sure. And and I'll start. There's 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 two primary ways that um, companies get board games in America. One is an internal team will develop the product from scratch, and the other is that there's a network of probably 100 150 people who are professional game inventors, and they invent games. And then and you may and the Boppet guy may be an example of this. They invent games and then they go to companies and try to shop them and sell them the way an author would with a with a book that, that he or she has written. And so most of the time, the games come from one of those two sources. University games is a little different. First off, I love even now, after 38 years, I love to develop and invent games. I'm one of the very few CEOs of a corporation that's also still the creative director of the company. We have a marketing VP and we have a senior VP of product development and we have people who have those titles. But when it comes to actually developing the games, that's one of my favorite things to do. So we're unusual in that respect. The second way that we're unusual is that just overall as a company, we don't use inventors very much. We, we like inventors. We have some that we work with quite closely, but we 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 don't work with them on most of our games the way our competitors do. So those games you just held up, if you could hold Fishing for Words up again, there was a guy named Jim Kiefer, who was a friend of mine who worked for Mattel and Spin Master. And we were friends for 20 years. And Jim decided that he was going to start inventing games. And, and he's also an incredibly good illustrator instead of working for a corporation, kind of like I've had enough of the corporate life. I want to go out on my own. And when he started doing that, we told him we wanted to be on his cycle of companies he pitched to. And he brought us that game. And it was this magical thing where it was perfect because we have a division that's more focused on men than um, on children or women. It's called Front Porch Classics. And it 
most of the products have fishing and hunting themes in that division. And we had never done a successful word game in that division. So he brought us Fishing for Words, which is really a game where you're very quickly trying to create words and you get points. It's a bananagrams or Scrabble type game. And, um, but it had the fishing theme. And so we just loved it. And he did the illustrations in the game and it was helping out a friend. And so we did it. We've had that game in our line for probably eight years now, and we've sold over a hundred thousand copies. I mean, it's been a good game. And there's an example of something where uh, he was somebody we knew and that we just got a really good fit and not very many other companies would have been interested in that game because there aren't very many companies. I don't know of any other company that likes fishing and hunting games other than us. Um, the other three that you held up yeah. are games that I developed oh, and, and the history of those are that I looked at the game spot it. Do you know that game? Yeah. Um, and spot it is sold in a round tin. And I said, why is Spot It so popular? And it turns out it's popular because the gameplay is amazing. But I also thought that there might be something magical about the round tin. So I said, what if we take something that we normally sell in big boxes and we make a travel version of it in a round tin? And so um, all three of those games are games that I created. They're all travel smaller versions of bigger games that we've done over the last decade. And uh, there's three of them in the series. Uh, we actually now have a fourth uh, called 20 question mysteries, which it looks like you're missing, but those three um, were the series. And what we did is we sold them in a blister on a peg and we had no idea what would happen. And we just found this niche and the mystery was popular, was just starting to get popular at the time, much more popular now. And uh, the retail price, I hope you didn't pay more than $10 for it. It should have been $7.99 or something in the store. So a low-priced game, it's something you can go through and play in an hour. And uh, people love it. And we we sell, we've sold, we might have sold up to a million of those now across mm. the three titles. It's very successful. But it's something that I did and that I came up with. No, I, I love that. That's that's awesome. I'm glad that you were able to kind of give us insight on on both of these. Uh, two questions, I guess, that are a little bit more awkward because they, um, I guess, they kind of deal with the different side of the games. And and what I want to ask you, too, because when I was looking on your website, it looks like you, you already talked about this front porch games division. Mm -hmm. Is it a conscious effort to, like, have these different areas? Like, I don't know whether you guys created forbidden games and then bought or, or whether you bought them or how that looks. And the reason I ask is because looking at your games now, I, I feel like we're talking about these million, million game sellers. It has to be, you know, most people go to target and they buy monopoly or they're buying, you know, a Hasbro game or, or something easy, a party game cards against humanity, those type of things. Those are the things that truly sell. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that some, a lot of your guys' niche, but those aren't, I mean, as a, as a big gamer, those aren't the ones that I, I buy. Obviously, we're, I'm buying more meaty games, like the Forbidden, your Forbidden series with, you know, Raccoon Tycoon and stuff. I don't buy a lot of party games. So mm -hmm. I just wonder, has it, have, have you purposely stayed in the lane of more of the party, easy digestible games because that's what sells better? Or, or why haven't you guys done a ton of really the, 
the the gamers games if you will well no those are not awkward questions those are great questions we, the, the strategy that we have and we've had this strategy for a long time uh, to build our our business so now i've got my business hat on not my fun hat mm-hmm. is through international expansion and uh and through acquisition so we we do lots of acquisitions i think we've done 15 acquisitions mm-hmm. and when we do an acquisition, what we're trying to do is we're trying to help somebody, you know, who had a dream for their business and maybe didn't have as strong of a business side, or they're old, they've been doing it for thirty years and they want to hand it off to someone else, find a, a, a good home for the product, and we we offer ourselves as a good home, and often people agree, and so the glow in the dark business was something that we acquired and then we built it up, the. Um, Forbidden Games business we acquired in April of 2022, so we've had it for a little over a year. And the games that that people know from Forbidden Games are strategy games. Those are exactly what you're talking about. They're meaty strategy games. And so I've always wanted to get into that. I don't know how to invent those. And so it was a question of either hiring someone who knows how to do that or buying someone who knows how to do that, and we chose to buy and now we're in it and we love it. And Raccoon Tycoon is one of my very favorite games. Um, Mosaic is a masterpiece. Glenn Drover, the inventor of these games, uh, absolute brilliant game designer. And um, the, we have a new one that just came out that you should check out called Fairies and Magical Creatures. Mm-hmm. It's getting great reviews from people like Tom Vassell and from um, Board Game Geek and uh, we're shipping it now. We did a Kickstarter on it that um, fully funded in less than three hours, mm-hmm. and we had it at Gen Con. And Fairies and, Pre- and uh, Magical Creatures is a really, really fun game. It's it's a great game for women because the artwork is amazing and they like it, and it's a great game for men because the artwork is amazing and they like it. Mm-hmm. And uh, also the gameplay is easy to understand for people new to strategy games, but it's... Uh, it's a great game. It's it's called Fairies, and we will continue to put out uh, the the strategy type games going forward. The reason we've done what we've done is they they are more commercial. It's it's much more commercially. We can be much more commercially successful with those little round mystery games that you held up than we can with um, most strategy games. The strategy games that succeed the the pandemics and the ticket to rides and the puerto ricos and the carcassons those are one out of a hundred mm-hmm. and you know you know that if you know the category you've ever been into a, a hobby store and so we are real careful about it and 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 we'll put out one or two a year and slowly the catalog will increase and uh we're really excited about it but our bread and butter is preschool learning and party games that's what we're best at that's what i'm best at and uh there's plenty of plenty of people that enjoy those and have fun with those. Absolutely, for for sure. Yeah. The the, the second question in that that category is you, you already talked about how you guys were the ones that did Carmen San Diego and and Nickelodeon games and and all that kind of stuff. So what's what's the strategy behind IP games? I know that you're you we're going to talk about one here in a minute that's coming out soon. But again, kind of in the gamer world which is not what most people are in mm-hmm. a lot of times with ip games it's kind of just paste on something that's a bad game and i don't think that's really what 
anybody wants to have happen. And I, and I, I don't know your, your IP game, so I don't know whether that's the case, but what's more important? Is it more important to make a, you know, something that's digestible to everybody that likes Carmen San Diego or to actually make a, a good game? Cause that's not always the case when it comes to that type of thing. Well, first of all, the, the, to answer that question, I think it's always better to make a good game because if you don't make a good game, people aren't going to play it. I'm, I'm a very vocal critic of, of, of the strategy that two or three companies have of just doing slapping monopoly on everything. I don't understand why the world needs a Barbie monopoly or why the world Barbie couldn't, you know, she couldn't do a real estate deal if she had to, you know, I mean, that's not who Barbie is. Barbie is good at other things, but she's not good at, she doesn't have the education and she doesn't have the background to do play, you know, to be, Monopoly and Barbie don't go together. I don't know how else to, to say it other than, you know, people will buy it. And, you know, the same thing with, you know, Justin Bieber Monopoly or Britney Spears Monopoly. I, I don't understand that. That doesn't seem to me to make Monopoly better. And it doesn't seem to me to resonate with what the property is about. So I think it's always better to do a good game. And I think there's there's it's there should be no exceptions. Um in terms of us, our approach is to avoid label slapping, which is where you just take the IP and you just plaster it onto an already existing game. There might be a situation where we've done it or where we do it, and it would be this kind of a situation. We have a game called um, Five Little Monkeys Jumping on the Bed. It's, it's after the nursery rhyme. And if we got a monkey license, like a Curious George license, maybe we would do a Curious George version of monkeys jumping on the bed. That would be an example of where we might do it because the property lends itself to the game. But in general, we would never do that. I mean, I can use Rocky Horror as an example. We we got, and we're going to talk about it a little more, I think, but the Rocky Horror show license was something that we got. And the licensors said, you know, we want you to do something, a card game, something like Uno. And and I said, well, we can't do something like Uno because Uno already exists. Mm -hmm. What we want to do is we want to do something that celebrates the the core characters and the core ideas that you had when you created the show. So we always go back to the essence of the property. We do a lot of book and um, PBS show licenses, and we'll always go back to what's the property about what did the creators of the property try to do and how can we bring that to life versus how can we marry it with something we already have done um i i think most of the consumer sales are based on the ip but i don't care i still want to do good games no I, 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 I yeah i, I love that because you, like you mentioned that's that's not always the case so i i love to hear that that's important to you for sure want to ask you you know you, you started this company in 1985 a lot has happened since then. We we talked about how much you know the brewery business has have has changed. How much has the gaming world changed since 1985? What what's different now than what it was back when you first started? Well, the competition has changed. When we started, the competition was other was big board game companies, and most of them are gone. Um, you know, when we started, there was Pressman, and there was um, Tyco, and there was. Parker and there was Parker Brothers and there was Milton Bradley. 
Milton Bradley was sold to Hasbro the year before we we were started. Um, there was Coleco. Uh, of the top twenty board game companies, only two of them are left in in twenty twenty three. So there's been a lot of consolidation. So the competition that was there then is different now. Uh, video games were the big thing that we were sort of competing with the consumer's mind with, and now there's a lot more um, competition with tablets and with things that you can get apps you can get on a mobile phone. So um, we're fighting for a share of people's time. Uh, retail is very different. There's a lot less retailers now. It, the largest retailer when we started was uh, Kmart. And then soon after Toys R Us passed them and they never had more than 20% market share. Well, now Target, Walmart, and Amazon have about 70% market share. So, if you're trying to have a big game, if you're trying to have a, something that breaks through, you if you're not in, you can get into Amazon, but if you're not in Target and Walmart, it's very difficult. And it used to be there were five or six big retailers, and if you were in three of them, you were fine. So if you're not in there, you can't do promotion. If you can't do promotion, you can't build the game. So I would say it's harder now than it was then to have a success. Um, it's harder to market and promote because people's um, – People's leisure time viewing is much more dispersed than it was when there were only three networks. Uh, and and I think it's it's harder to get people off of machines to want to play games. Um, the other big change is the adult party game market. When we started, there was only one game, and that was Trivial Pursuit hmm. that adults played. It, there was nobody in the in the industry who knew how to invent games for adults. Now, nobody. I mean, there was the Dungeons and Dragons people, and they knew how to, but they were only doing a very you know small role playing game thing. And no, like when I started, I was thinking about it before anybody at Parker Brothers or Milton Bradley was thinking about it. And um, now, boy, there's the what do you mean people? Be wonderful games, Cards Against Humanities. There's there's um, the Exploding Kitten team. There's there's so many groups that are coming up with new and exciting games. And the party game category is the fastest growing. So when Trivial Pursuit was out, you had one game, you know, that was capturing it. Then Pictionary came, then Taboo, and then Outburst and Our Game 20 Questions. And there was like one or two good ones a year for in the 80s and early 90s. But now with the combination of Kickstarter and these new companies, there's dozens and dozens of cool games that are coming out. So I would say that's a really big change. And then the final change is that um, parents now are starting to look for preschool games that offer more developmental help for their kids than Candyland or Shoots and Ladders do. Mm. So there's this cool market for learning and developmental games for three to six-year-olds so that they can get ready for school. The concept of school readiness in games is a big deal. Um, that those are the big changes. Probably yeah. longer answer than you wanted. No, that's <laughs> that's perfect. Do they still in the store sell Trivial Pursuit? I know you can get about ten of them at every Goodwill. So, I, do they still sell it at? Yeah, at regular store? they did. Yeah, there's there's a Trivial Pursuit is still available at regular stores. Yeah. They have a version of the original game, and then every year they put out a specialty version, and. It doesn't sell anywhere like it did in the 80s, yeah. but um, it's still out there and it's still considered the definitive trivia game. I got gotcha. you. So in 
in this world because I, I am somebody who is big in tabletop gaming. So it's hard for me to say, I just, we just talked about Gen Con. It's here in, in Indianapolis. I was there with 70 or 80,000 of my closest friends. So I see this world as one that is, you know, not contracting. You talked about how, um, you know, the places that you sell them is a lot less than it used to be. But then you also talked about how there's so many more games out there and, but also, a whole different world as far as as marketing to adults which the adults are the ones that have you know the the money you know not the kids so i think that that's that's important too so i just wonder do you think the world of gaming in the technology in the technological world that we live in now that you know just tabletop gaming do you think that it's something that is is getting smaller larger where, where are we at it's getting larger. The The peak year uh, in the history of America for board game sales was 2021 during COVID. Hmm. And um, so it's it's gone down from there. But this year will be ahead of 2019 pre-COVID. And it's going to continue to grow. The, 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 the It's very exciting because it's I think it's very counterintuitive. One would think the last thing someone wants to spend their extra money on is a board game when they can get games online or they can have a thousand games in their phone. But there's something about the tactile thing of playing a game. There's something about getting people all in the same place live and talking and having that interaction that computers and phones just can't replicate. And I think as we become more of a, um, work from remote and distance learning society, the more people are going to crave those times when people get together. And because you're craving them, you want them to be great. And because you want them to be great, you plan them better. Because you're planning them better, you're going to want to have board games. So I see it increasing. The industry says it's going to increase by 5 to 10% a year for the next three or four years. I think it's going to increase more than that. There's also a huge migration going on currently to, to – um, role-playing and strategy games, which is very exciting. Um, those are higher price games, so that brings more dollars into the category. Uh, so I, it's very funny. My first 10 years in business, people said, how do you survive? Nobody plays board games anymore. And now people say, how do I get into board games? That seems like a great field to be in. Yeah. Last question I have before I wanted you to talk about your new games, and that is, because this is always a fun one when I talk to, you know, leaders of, of companies. And that is, what are some products or games that you that you've put out that have surprised you, whether maybe you thought it was going to be amazing, and it completely was a complete flop, or maybe you're like, eh, I'm not real sure about this. And then it just took off like, you know, wildfire. Talk about a surprising product. Okay, I'll give you one of each. Okay. Um, we have many, we have many more that I thought were going to be great that didn't work out. Mm -hmm. Then we have ones that I wasn't really sure about that turned out to be great, but I can give you an example of each. In the 1990s, we introduced a game called Pop Opinion that I thought was going to be a blockbuster. And Pop Opinion was a game where um, you would have cups and you'd answer questions about the group. And if you got the answer right, you know, like, I don't know, um, how many people have had a beer in the last week? You know, something like that. Like kind of what we would call now a party game. Um, if you got the question 
um, right, nothing happened. But if you got it wrong, you had to eat a piece of popcorn. And the first person to eat all their popcorn loses, and the la- the person with the most popcorn at the end wins. So I thought, this is amazing. This is going to be great. We went to Paul Newman. He was still alive at the time. And we got him to agree to um, sell us Paul Newman's popcorn, microwave popcorn at a low price. We put a bag of popcorn in every game. I thought, that, you know, we got a bag of popcorn in every game. We've got a scoring mechanism that has to do with eating. We have questions that change every time you play the game because they have to do with the group. It just checked all the boxes. I thought, this is going to be amazing. And we got Paul Newman behind it and we had a promotion and we had this thing in grocery stores and you could get a coupon on the back of the popcorn to buy the game. And we got distribution everywhere. And um, I that was about 1997. I think we sold the last one last year. Mm. <laughs> We've been holding on to them all that time. It just turned out that when the game got on the market, for some reason, people thought, oh, the popcorn is not going to is going to be stale or it's going to be bad because it was boxed in a board game box, even though it was the exact same popcorn they were buying in the grocery store that was the same age. So it just it didn't work. But we thought it was a great I, just even describing it. It sounds like a great idea to me. Um, <laughs> then we had another game and this game was uh was a board game version of the TV show Blues Clues. Mm -hmm. And Blues Clues was probably when you were a kid. It was a big game in the 90s. And Mm -hmm. um, we went in our initial production run was uh, 20,000 games. And we were hoping that we would sell them through in the first year. And we'd really overextended ourselves at the time. We were still a small company with Nickelodeon to get the license. And we we sold all 20,000 before the game even arrived, like pre-orders. Mm. And then we ended up selling, we ordered another 50,000. Um, and then Toys R Us came in. They were still were in existence at the time. And, um, and they said they thought they could sell 70,000. Anyway, we sold in a 12-month period over a million units. Mm. And um, I was forecasting in my, I saw the old business plan a couple of years ago. I was forecasting that we would do 80,000 in the life of the product. We sold a million in 12 months. So that was a huge success. That was amazing. I'm sure that didn't hurt your feelings too much, did it? No, no, it was okay. (laughs) So now I want to talk about, you know, what's happening with university games. Now we we talked before we started about two really exciting products. You already kind of, um, you know, foreshadowed one when it comes to Rocky horror, but talk about those two, uh, two games that you have coming out soon uh, that you want to talk about. Sure. Thank you. So the Rocky Horror Show is the name of the musical that led to the movie, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And the guy who wrote it um, is still alive. And he uh, asked us uh, if we would make a board game on it. And so we, we researched it. And what we found is that this is not a retro property. This is the 50th anniversary. And it's very much alive and active and popular with teenagers and young adults. There are still hundreds of theaters in the country that every Saturday night at midnight show the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And there are dozens of traveling um, groups um, that are performing it live in the theater. We decided to make a game that would be true to the original property. And so our game has three acts in it. And um, you start by being one of the characters. And uh, we've, we're limiting it to six characters, to Janet, to Brad, 
to Dr. Frankenfurter, to Dr. Scott, uh, to Riff Raff, and to Magenta. Those are our six characters. And you pick one of those characters, and your experience in playing the game is much like the first time that you go to this show or you or see the movie. You feel a little awkward. You feel like you don't know what's going on. It's a little confusing. There, We don't really have instructions in the game. We have cards by character, and the characters have to all put their information together to be able to play the game. They have to help each other to play. Um, in the first act, the challenge is to get into the house, and you get into the house by um, getting riffraff to say hello, and there's a mechanism for that happening in the game. Then the second part of the game, you have to put Rocky together. You're in the lab. And all through the game, the, the way you win the game is by escaping from the castle and also collecting five kisses or five sets of lips. And you collect lips by knowing uh, phrases from the show. So are you a Rocky fan or, or not really? I mean, I've, I've definitely seen it, but I'm not, yeah. I'm not huge. No. So, so there's some lines like um, in the game, one of the characters will say, let's go up the, let's go up to the lab. And if you know to say, and see what's on the slab, then you would win some lips hmm. and the game plays like that. But in the, in act two, you're putting Rocky together and you're trying to get all of his body parts and there's a gambling element to it. And then the third act is trying to escape from the castle. And uh, the first person to escape with five lips and the lips are the, are, are you get by answering things correctly. They win the game. It, it, it's a fun game. It's a role-playing game. There's a point in the game where you have to stand up and everyone sings um, let's do the time warp again and do the dance. And anyone who is familiar with the property is going to love it. And nobody is going to call this a, a label slap or just a reskin. This is a new game never done before that only works for Rocky Horror Show. Mm -hmm. And uh, we start shipping it um, middle of September. And it's available uh, on Amazon.com, but also in, in stores around the country and at RUGame.com, which is um, going to be the first launch site for it. And I just would invite anybody who who likes the Rocky Horror Show, get this game. You'll have so much fun playing it with your friends. Yeah, I, I love that. That's I mean, I no one's ever done this before. Here, here's what it looks like. Uh, that's that's awesome. And I, I'm I'm surprised that it was you know, that license is available because that certainly is, it's old, like you're saying, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's uh theaters here that every Saturday show it. So it's definitely right. a, a hot thing for sure. It's cool, isn't it? It's really cool. Yeah. yeah I'm really excited about it. And, um, and I hope people will buy it and, and give it a try because it's really a fun, different way to experience both. Yeah, so that's Rocky Horror Show. And then, a game that we we launched uh, two months ago is called The Night Hunter. And solving, you know, we started with murder mystery parties, but solving mysteries is really popular right now. People like reading mystery books, watching TV shows, movies, Stranger Things. And we've put out a, a very successful series called The Murder Mystery Party Case Files. Um, but our new game this year and this is the thing that we are most excited about that's on the market now rocky horror comes out um in mid-september so when people see this it'll be very close to when it's coming out it's called the night hunter um and the night hunter is the first mystery in a box with not one murder but three murders mm -hmm. and you're trying to catch a serial killer and it interacts with the internet and you have to go online and get clues if you get stuck 
but what you're doing is you're putting together forensic evidence to try and see if you can solve the murder. And you do it as a group, and it's a really fun evening um, for anybody that likes mysteries. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, we have some of those with from from some companies, and I, we, I love those for sure. And just in the podcast world, the world of true crime. I mean, when I've had right. people, when it's, I've had people on, I had Amanda Knox on. I had the guy who caught the Green River Killer. Those are yeah. far and away the ones that people listen to the most. So I think both of these products are ones that are definitely going to be hot. <laughs> Well, I hope so. The Night Hunter, I'm really, really excited about because I think that's something that's available that anybody can enjoy. And if you've played some of those other mysteries or you know, you've had on your show, you know, got detectives who've caught murderers, this is something it's sort of like we all have these secret things, you know. God, it would be great to be president for a day, or wouldn't it be great to be a professional athlete? Well, being a detective, a mystery detective, solving a murder is also something that many people think about and fantasize about. And the Night Hunter is about as close as you can get to that experience without actually doing it. And uh, and then the Rocky Horror Show game, that's a great one for uh, anybody that, that likes the property. Yeah, I love it. They're, I think they're both something to be very, very excited about. How can you talked about how uh, briefly how people can find them? Talk about, again, how people can find those two how people can find your games as a whole, all the ones that I showed you a minute ago, I think I bought at target. So you, there's definitely mm -hmm. a lot of places to get them, but just kind of in wrapping up all things, university games, how are people going to uh, connect with it? So for the night hunter target has it in about five or 600 of their stores. So that would be a reasonable place to go. Um, if you live in a part of the country that has Meyer or Fred Meyer stores, um night hunter is in those stores but for night hunter and for rocky horror uh areugame.com a-r-e-y-o-u-g-a-m-e will definitely have these games and uh you'll be able to get them and be one of the first to receive them at home if you want to get in touch with me we have a website universitygames.com we all i also have an email address and that's moog m-o-o-g at ugames.com and if there's anything I can do, if anybody has any questions about games or just wants to, you know, share any ideas they have, I'm happy to hear from people. I don't, I'm out there. I don't try to hide. <laughs> you, that, that's dangerous. I, I, again, when I was talking to the Boppet guy, he said kind of at the end as a joke, anybody who wants to send me an idea for Boppet, I'm sure it's a great idea, but I've only been dealing with this for 30 years. I'm sure I've, Maybe thought of it and already had to dismiss it. You're you're opening yourself up to ideas, huh? I'm the other way around. I mean, <laughs> if it's something that if it's a game idea for us to make, we'll probably have to have you sign uh, the, the you know we'll require you to sign a non disclosure or or something. But if it yeah, I want ideas. I I have the exact opposite approach that he does. I believe that the best games haven't been thought of yet, and um. And if I was able to do it, I, I would probably be a lot more successful than I am. And uh, I, you know, I try my best, but I know that there's people out there who have ideas that I haven't thought of. They have different game ideas come from life experiences and I only have my life experiences. So I'd love to be able to channel everybody else's life experiences too. Oh yeah. No, I, I think the difference there was just, it's, it's this one specific product. I think that's right. where, yeah. So no, I mean it's it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. You you've been so gracious with your time. I really appreciate you. 
Thanks a lot, Jackson. This has been great. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks for the opportunity to talk. I enjoyed it. So that was Bob Moog. What an amazing conversation. I, I learned so much about the board gaming world. I've had people on from the board game world before, but I continue to learn things uh, new every time that I speak with somebody in, in that uh, in that regard. So loved the conversation. I urge you to go check out his games, um, you know, the, his company's games. I'm going to put the link to, in the show notes to University Games. I think when you, you look through the huge list of games that uh, that are currently for sale you're going to recognize quite a few of them of course there's games that are no longer in print that uh, were huge as well so just a fascinating conversation urge you to check out the two games that he talked about today um if you're into rocky horror picture show it, this game is, is now available and i, I think that it's a, an amazing one so Urge you to check that out. If you're into to murder mysteries, um, you listen to some of my previous podcasts that have the a true crime element, and you're you're into that. I, I urge you to check out Night Hunter. Um, it was just a pleasure speaking with Bob. Uh, I uh, literally am a a consumer of of his already, and, and didn't even didn't even necessarily know that it would it would mean I talked to the to the guy who created them so you know you, you didn't necessarily see it but uh, I, I had his games uh, a stack of them lined up and, and ready to speak with him about and held them up and we talked about those today so what an, an awesome moment uh, for me just to hear hey how, how these how these games were created and uh, I, I think that uh, it was just it was just really cool that that's that's all i can i can say there so check out um university games check out those new games that that uh, we talked about today if this is your first time listening to this podcast go uh, go follow or subscribe depending on if you use apple or spotify leave a five star uh, rating on apple and on spotify leave a written review on apple even more amazing go follow along on uh on instagram not enough podcasts jacksnap.com not in the help with jacksnap on facebook lots of places to follow along so many amazing guests in the past so many amazing ones uh, lined up for the future so uh, hope to see you next week take it away chris this has been not in a huff with jackson huff thank you for listening be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think or hey maybe even both But until then, keep being awesome.